Welcome to Heads Up, a mental health wellness show that is hosted by myself, Sue Mullen, a retired school counselor, and my cohort, licensed family therapist, Diane Vaccarello. Diane? Hi, Sue. How, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic today. Yes. All right. Well, I'm, I'm happy to see you. Uh, I, I know that You've had some challenges the past couple of weeks with some health issues. So I'm happy to see that smile and face back in front of the camera with me. And uh, we're here to talk about something that I know is near and dear to both of us. Yes. And following two broadcasts that we did on perfectionism, I am thrilled to death to tell our audience today that what we're going to be talking about is how important it is to just be good enough. Mm, doesn't that sound great? It feels good just to say it. Yeah, it does. It's so unusual that we give permission to just be good enough. And right. Amazing and fantastic. Yeah. It's interesting because as I was preparing for this program, um, I was just, you know, my awareness was heightened to how unusual it seemed that we would be doing our 30 minutes on making sure that parents in particular feel that what they're doing at home is actually helping their family life themselves, their children, just by being genuine, by giving in to the sort of foibles and pitfalls of you know normal family life and not relying on guilt and high expectations and the need to be the you know the at the top of the heap to direct us in in what we do so uh I, here's what i know so you and i started talking about this concept about the good enough parent and you referred to bruno bettelheim who is a <clears throat> well-known psychologist. Mm -hmm. I was shocked, I have to tell you, because I, he, he, I, I was studying Bruno Bettelheim in the 1970s when I think you've already told me. Have you already told me that you were barely on the earth in the 1970s? 1975. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so the idea that you were saying, hey, have you followed this uh, information from Bruno Bettelheim? And I was like, Bruno Bettelheim? Yeah. Is he, first of all, I think I asked you if he was still alive, which was comical because he'd be like 150 years old now or something <laughs> like that. But so tell me a little bit about Bettelheim himself from your vantage point and what makes him so interesting to you as a family therapist. Yeah, so I, I was really psyched to hear you had heard about him. He is a psychologist. He'd been through... Um, you know, just trauma and tragedy himself through, um, you know, being in concentration camps, his family, all of that. 
he influenced a lot of people. I'm still shocked that family therapy as a profession is a fairly new, you know, we're talking 70s, 80s, 90s. I learned from uh, my mentor was trained by Jay Haley, who was one of the original forefathers of family therapy. So I'm like a grandchild only, you know what I mean? And so right, right. it's um, Bruno Bettelheim's work influenced people like uh, Peter Gray, who is a PhD, who um, does articles um, in psychology today. He did one that um, I think would be good for people to check out. It's called The Good Enough Parent is the Best Parent. It sort mm -hmm. of talks about how what would Goldilocks pick, you know? Um, and right, so we'll right. talk a little bit today about Goldilocks first choice kind of scenario. Um, but he's influenced a lot of people in terms of taking what's called like a pedifocal approach, um, which is a child-centered approach. And to look through the child's lens of, of, of a worldview um, and to do a lot of work as a parent or a teacher or a coach through that lens. And so one of the article, he wrote, good enough parent back in 1987 and so a lot of people's work more current than that still are sort of offshoots from his original work and so i think one of the things i like about that book in particular it really does talk about certain false beliefs that people get trapped into mm -hmm. and it pops some bubbles on that it's a little psychoanalytic for some and it you know so it it has to be taken um in context uh, but there's a lot of really good stuff in there. And I feel like if we could just sort of boil that down to what's most useful, parents need to, to feel supported, you know, in, with regard to not, um, the pressures of parenting are already so high, you know, from the instant that child's born, even before they're born. Okay. So I'm going to suggest something. So how about if I throw out some general kind of one-liners and let you just react to them from your own experiences. Are you game for that? I love games. <laughs> okay. The first thing I'm going to say is true or false. Good enough parents do not strive to be perfect parents and don't expect perfection from their children. True that or false? Absolutely true. Good okay. enough parents do not expect perfection in themselves or their kids. And why is that? Because they recognize that um, imperfections are a part of life. They are just a part of everyday life. We all have them and they don't overly worry about them to the point where they're anxious. They just accept that. And so in accepting the fact that life is imperfect, does that spill over and extend to children being able to accept themselves as being imperfect? Exactly. Because we end up being models, right, for our kids. So the lens we look through influences the lens our child looks through. So I think that people who um, are not overly perfectionistic with their parenting also understand that nature allows us to be resilient when we're born. We, we would not be surviving as a human species, right? If we didn't have resiliency by nature. And so right. good enough parents realize we have imperfections. We have to strive towards, you know, being good enough will get us through. And we are resilient by nature, unless we get in the way of that resiliency that we're born with. And we, as parents, you know, if there's one sort of tip, it would be for the most part, I mean, provide gu guidance, support, but it's get out of the way, 
Like we need to actually get out of the way of the ingredients that we're born with. Okay, that's an interesting, that's an interesting takeaway um, because uh, in the reading that I did, a lot of psychologists who are sort of looking at this good enough concept seem to come back frequently to the idea that kids are born curious mm -hmm. and they are also born with the desire to be independent of their parents. Exactly. And that one thing that good enough parents do is allow their kids to, they can offer help and support, but they know where the line is between what enough help and support is and what too much is. Exactly. That's where the Goldilocks part comes in, right? Yeah. Because, you know, if, if it's not enough, it's too much. We're looking for somewhere in the middle there where there's an understanding that our children are quite capable. So the goal for parents is to get to know their children really, really well, instead of presume that they know their children best. Um, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that children have to have a sense of like, um, including within this recipe, what it is that they want to do, for example, mm -hmm. for a job mm -hmm. or career or interest as they're growing up and what route to take that feels like it fits for them. Of course, getting support and encouragement um, from parents is important, but if parents believe that they are the literal producers and directors and shapers of their children, um, good enough parents don't believe that. They believe that you know, they're not the ones responsible more than the child is for determining some of those things. Yeah, I read something that said um, that good enough parents are more concerned with whether or not their children are having a good enough experience as a child and less concerned about the outcome as an adult. And, and, and that resonated with me because I remember when, um, when I was working that frequently kids would come in and they would talk about their parents' anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I uh, would laugh a little bit with them and say, yeah, it sort of goes like this, right? You have to come to school and you have to get the best grades and you get the best grades because you need to get into the best programs and you need to get into the best programs so that you can go to the best schools because if you don't go to the best schools, you'll end up addicted to drugs in a teen pregnancy and ruin your life forever. <laughs> and literally kids would laugh and say, yes, that is, that is kind of what's going on. How did you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did you know? So, so focusing on the child as a child not focusing on the child as a six-figure earner uh, at the age of 35. Right. It's focusing on the more present time and experience that a child has, that it's satisfying for them, mm -hmm. that it's enjoyable for them, but not in a way where we give them too much or do too much. It's more um, like the idea of a simple carefree childhood, right? Where they can start to explore things, get curious. We support them having some risk-taking because that's a part of ordinary, normal sort of growth and development um, that we support them exploring 
that is done in the context of a safe environment, of course, you know, but it's done right. with um, the idea that their children are complete. Our kids are complete. Um, you know, we need to get to know the, the areas where they might need a little bit more support, but for the most part, they have the tools. We're just there to kind of provide the environment for them to explore and figure that stuff out. And so when we think about, we've talked about this when we've done the shows on anxiety, the anxiety usually is tied more to the future. So if we're constantly worried about the future, what that's going to bring, we're not able to really be present and satisfied in our present time. So it's all connected, right? The other thing that you were mentioning is instead of thinking of our children as six-figure earners, it's really just absorbing what it is that makes our children unique in their own way mm -hmm. um, and really support that. So we are at the same time raising adults, right? We're not, we're raising kids to become adults at some point. So we want to bring, blend the two together and not worry so much about the future, but more focus on the fact that they will be on their own at some mm -hmm. point. We're not going to be needed forever. So supporting them in being able to be capable, kids come into this world wanting to do for themselves. They want to do things and, and learn things. It makes our self-esteem feel much stronger and success breeds success. If we feel capable of doing X, Y, Z, we're going to be also more interested in trying this, this, and this, and yeah. we'll start to weed through what we like and what we don't like. Um, but if we don't get the chance to do that, and we rely on our parents to do that for us, it's going to be a really tough transition into adulthood. That's going to cause all other sorts of trouble in adulthood. Do you think, Diane, do you think that we indulge the work ethic out of our kids sometimes? Yeah, that's an interesting way to word it. Um, we, we do because in a sense, kids end up pulling back from working hard if they mm -hmm. feel like it's never good enough, right? If they feel like what they're producing is actually because of something that somebody else did for them, they're not going to feel like they own it. Right. And so the work ethic becoming intrinsic starts to die down. We used a metaphor, um, before around the idea of learning like the high jump and we do have to have you know the the pole needs to be raised high enough that we can get over it and practice it a few times so we can get the body memory going right and then we right. raise it up a couple of notches so that we can feel a little bit of challenge but also feel how great it is when we actually go over that because we've trained our body to to adjust to that level and but if we raise the bar way high up we're going to look at that and we're going to be like, no way. And just walk away. We're just going to tap out of that. Right. Yeah. I was actually, um, I, I was, I, I was thinking about that. Yes, definitely unrealistically high expectations for performance, yeah. but I was also thinking a little bit about, you know, the fact that kids are hedonistic, just like we are. Oh yeah. And that if we only present things that are fun and easy as being oh, rewarding yep and we do everything else because uh, because it's not fun and easy right you know if we're not praising and supporting kids around their work ethic if we're yeah. not praising and supporting them for trying hard things for doing things they don't want to do Totally. If the only thing we make worthwhile is fun and easy. Yeah. 
then what, how do we, <laughs> we're, we're creating our own monsters, right? Exactly right. And it stops being fun also. It right. stops being, right? And um, we disconnect from that entirely. But yeah, we're not giving kids a chance if we take that approach to actually feel what challenge feels like. Mm -hmm. in a way that's attainable and um you know so part of it is creating environments at home and at school to your point right this is anywhere mm -hmm. where there's like a a warmth around learning of course because kids do better with that they do better with sort of um you know positivity and warmth around that um but also we need to give them challenging work you know, because it allows them to feel what having a work ethic feels like. Right. And we can give them, you know, one example, um, and this uh, Peter Gray gives is the idea of giving them challenging work, but giving them added time to do it. Enough time to work out the problems, enough time to, to dig in and like struggle a little bit and figure out that they can figure out their struggles. And the reward that comes from that is what keeps work ethic strong and healthy and dynamic. Um, but if we try and give them too much or we don't give them enough challenging work, right? We don't give them any at all, it's just fun stuff. They don't get to have that feeling of working hard on something and succeeding. Right. Or working hard and failing and trying again and exploring. Right, right. So, um, what, what is your, what's your take on the balance between those two, two things I'm having, you know, I always like to highlight my aha moment and right now my aha moment is, oh, you're absolutely right. We, I, I tend to put too much on my own plate. Mm -hmm. If we put too many things and not enough time in front of our kids, then, you know, we're faced with the choice of either telling them to, you know, hurry up and get to it. Yes. Or we're setting them up to, to do a mediocre job because they don't have enough time and tools. And then we're slightly disappointed maybe when they don't do as well as we want them to do. Right. And exactly right. So if we compare the two and we compare saying, basically sending a message that, you know, Challenging work takes time, takes effort. Um, intrinsically, we want them eventually to experience both pieces where they can work things out at their pace. Every one of us has a different pace. That's why it's really hard in a school environment when there's timed testing and all of these things. Yeah. It goes against this concept. Um, but if we can support the idea of taking our time to struggle through learning how to tie your shoe, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? When you're young. And even though it's like really important that we get somewhere on time, sometimes as a good enough parent, it's sort of like good enough. I made it there 10 minutes after because my child learned to struggle a little bit more with their tying their shoe. But that's a skill that they're going to, you know, feel like they can then try the next thing or the next thing. They're not afraid of learning and it's intrinsic. Right. Yeah. So when we talk about the good enough parent, are we talking about the parent being good enough or the kid being good enough? So it's both. It's the parent establishing a culture or an environment where they understand imperfections are a part of the territory, where good enough is good enough. It's okay to just be okay and not like blow everything out of the water, amazing, all A's, whatever, all the time. That part of um, what's going to look like 
imperfections is because we're trying new things and because that's a part of the process mm -hmm. is struggling a little bit. So it may mean giving up on being, I use the example of being on time because some people that's so important and it is, but at the same time, what are you caring more about in those moments around some of these parenting things? We sometimes have pressures in our society to override and make these things more important than the struggle that we need to afford our kids. We need to afford struggle in our own right. lives. So good enough means good enough as parents, just good enough. You don't have to be the best parent. Being good enough will allow your children to be um, okay and accept the idea of good enough is good mm -hmm. enough. And so they won't create a, another generation of really anxious um, parents creating anxious kids who feel like they never really... Uh, even if they do accomplish something, well, what's the next thing you're going to do, right? It's never good enough. Right, right. On the psyche, what happens is that there's a lot of some, some parents who do not take the good enough approach. They believe that um, ultimately all problems that emerge, that there's somebody to blame for that. There's some thing wrong that we've done. They blame themselves right. a lot then they blame maybe their spouse or they'll blame their child. There's somebody to blame or they'll blame the school, whatever the case may be. But good enough parents understand that it's really just about finding solutions. It's not looking for blame or shame. Um, otherwise we just perpetuate that generationally. Right, so basically what we're saying to kids is that problems exist. Yeah. And it's, it's it's certainly okay to be unhappy over the fact that you've got a problem, yep. but the thing that you're looking for is a solution to the problem. It is not to externalize the blame and put it on somebody else. It's to figure out how to redirect yourself or the situation yeah. and get to a, get, get to a better place. How much of this, um, how much of this has to do with parents being able to accept their kids as being good enough if they're not great in athletics, in academics, in uh, social situations? How much, how much of it is us being able to accept the fact that our kids are flawed? Right, it is a huge part of that. It's also a huge part of not being so tied to the outcome of the kids being a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's not having a vision for this is how I want my child to be. That's backwards. It's more around saying, how is, who is my child? How are they getting to really, really know them and understand them and then support the, those sets of ingredients. Because then it's like the child themselves is literally accepted as good enough as, as who they are. And so when you can accept your child, how they are and who they are and support them in finding success in those areas, they're going to be loads more um, secure, you know, mm -hmm. and happy and satisfied as adults. Because if as parents, we're constantly sort of giving the message that you're not good enough or that you, you know, really should be doing this, which is what a lot of other kids are doing and putting pressures on like that, it just sends a message that um, they themselves as a human being are not acceptable enough mm -hmm. and it affects their self-esteem and their self-worth and, and their psyche, right? And so, and also, by the way, parents are anxious oftentimes because mm -hmm. the producing the way they expecting isn't happening. So when we're tied to the outcome, we instantly have a lot less power 
as a feeling within the dynamic of the system. So if we feel unempowered, we're going to try and take power. You know what I mean? From right, somewhere, right. from our child. And so then who else gets unempowered is the child, right? right? So then it creates an environment of like anxiety and control and all of that, which does not bode well in families or in relationships or for the child's future as an adult. They become controlling, you know, oftentimes. I'm struck as I'm sitting here listening to you by the concept of some people look at the glass and see it as half empty and some people look at the glass and see it as half full perspective. I, I think sometimes we can look at our kids and see the ways in which they're different than we are and see it as a strength. Yes. And then there are other times when we look at our kids and we see how they're different than we are and we see it as a weakness or a flaw. Yeah. And uh, yet that idea that, you know, each coin has two sides. Yeah. I think is pretty applicable in terms of uh, looking at these little people and, and sort of predetermining who they're going to be or not predetermining as the case may be. Yes. Or determining what they're not going to be because right. then kids just aren't going to, to even try to be that in a lot of ways. Right. Right. That's why a lot of times in our field, in our industry, we have to be really careful and cautious around diagnoses and, you know, giving somebody like um, a label as a learning disorder or whatever. It's important to identify and assess and, and find out what's going on with someone, but that label can um, sort of also create a scenario where the child strives to be that, you know right. what I mean? And um, so the opposite side of that coin holds true as well in terms of, you know, when someone, and again, the difference between praise and encouragement comes in here as well, where we're encouraging and saying, you work really hard at that. You know, I'm a hard worker is the belief system then, right. as opposed to you are a straight A student, right? And then if they don't get straight A's, they're like, well, what, a, what does that make me now? Um, mm -hmm. So it's these pieces where we have to come back to the idea of I am statements. We're feeding I am statements, right? In these yeah. scenarios. And really what we want to do is ask our kids, what do you think mm -hmm. that you enjoy, are good at, want to do, you know, get them really um, curious and interested and not afraid to answer our questions because, you know, they think that we are going to judge a certain answer, right? But they're not going to talk about it. They're going to hold it in and they're gonna disconnect from that part of themselves. You're going to be very disappointed to hear. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> that we are down to, to the, our, our closing moments on this episode as well. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, to start talking about this. Yeah. And I think that uh, it, it's highly likely that we're going to be interweaving this concept of being good enough into all of our future broadcasts as well, because you said something to me earlier that will resonate with me until the next time we meet. And that is that happy kids make for happy adults and happy adults have easier, happier lives. Yeah. So with that goal in mind, uh, anything you'd like to say before we close? Yeah, I would like to say, um, you know, to all the parents out there, it's 
um, important that we don't take too much of the credit for our kids' success, but mm -hmm. it's also important we don't take too much of the blame for you know struggles that they have as well. We have to really understand they're they're their own person, and we're there to kind of provide support, but we're not everything to them in either of those directions. Well, Diane, thank you so very much for your time today. And uh, I'm sure we'll be back at it again next week. So have a good day and a great weekend. And I'll see you soon. Thanks, Sue. I'm happy to see you soon, too. Yeah, all right. Take <laughs> that care. Was, that was my little health issue with seeing uh, happy. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy we see eye to eye on exactly. that. Exactly. All right. Take care. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. You got to keep your head up. Keep your head up. Keep your head up.